we said on our preview podcast, I closed it out with this. I tried to be poetic. I said that Argentina would either win with glory or they would die with glory. And admit over 120 minutes plus penalties, they tried their damnedest to do both. That is accurate. They really, really did. Uh, That game had to be won three times for Argentina. And it put the entire world through the ringer. What What a crazy, crazy match. It put the entire world through the ringer. And then it put Argentinians through the ringer times like seven. They had to win it three times. They lost the match twice, essentially. And still somehow through it all, which we're going to get into, they won the World Cup in the weirdest, wackiest, wildest, most 2022 Argentina way possible. They did. It's it's almost unbelievable because let's let's take some credit. At the very first podcast here, we picked Argentina to win. We did. Uh, uh, yeah, that's how we saw it going. Just like that. <laughs> All you can do is laugh. All you yeah, can do right. is laugh. After this game ended and the the general emotion, like the initial emotion subsided, that was the reaction. Was just like, that was stupid. How do you go back to normal life? Brentford and Southampton are going to play in eight days, and you're supposed to think that it matters after what you just witnessed. No, that's it's it's, it's insane. I don't like. We're, I don't know how we're supposed to do what we do here. Like, what do you do to make sense of what we saw? And we build it right as the the biggest match of the century, of maybe one of the biggest World Cup matches ever, and somehow it more than delivered what it over delivered we yeah how does that happen and it over delivered this is the world cup after dark podcast he is a bit malik i am austin miller i'm gonna warn the listeners right now this podcast is gonna go on for a very long time grab a snack get comfortable break it up into two hopefully your commute is a bit longer if you're commuting in buenos aires tomorrow morning it's probably going to be a bit longer so it'll hopefully work for you because we have so much to talk about we have to talk about the game itself which provides so many different topics of discussion we have to try and tackle this from a big picture perspective there's so much going on here amit and i don't even really know where to start so here's what we're going to try to do we're going to go through the moments that mattered in this game and then we're going to try to put it into some sort of perspective which will probably just be us repeating over and over again that is a thing that happened and just sending ourselves into oblivion with stuff. You come to us for this type of game. This is when we are in our element. When a game just consistently delivers weirdness, wackiness, wildness, that is the after dark. That is, as Amit alluded to on our last podcast, the 3%. Argentina was a 53% favorite in the 538 numbers. And today, Amit, we saw what the 3% is. Yeah. It's a lot of different things. I don't know what was what, which percent was what, but it, it 3% right there. That's, that's That mattered. I think it's super interesting because we said on the last show that this is an even World Cup between two teams that are generally evenly matched. And in a match like this, it comes down to moments. It did come down to moments, Amit. 
It's just there were about 17 of them in this game. This game delivered so many moments, so many more moments than a great final than a usual one-off final to decide a major tournament does. Yeah, it's usually a 1-0, a 1-1. Okay, France-Croatia had a lot, but the the final was decided, really, when France were up two goals. Uh, Argentina went up two goals, and there were two moments that made it, and then from it somehow... When France, the second France got back in this game, things just careened off the rails. And from there on, the last 20 minutes of regulation, plus all of extra time, plus the penalty shootout, they stuffed a tournament's worth of moments into one final. It was stupid. Yeah. So let's break down this game right now. And I think the best way for us to try to tackle this is to break this game down into three kind of segments. I think that is generally where we can try to attack this game. The first segment of this game is the first kind of two-thirds of it. The entirety of the first half and the first half of the second half, which, as we'll get to in a second, saw Argentina go two up, saw Argentina play their best football of this tournament, and saw them completely play France off the pitch, have a two-goal lead, and very nearly seal the World Cup. From then, we'll tackle the middle part that saw France get back in a span of 90 seconds. And then from there, we'll tackle everything that happened after that and we'll build up into the penalty shootout. So let's start, Amit, with the start of this match, which for 66 minutes was an Argentine coronation. Lionel Scaloni got his tactics right. He surprised us all and started Angel Di Maria in a front three for Argentina. We did not think that that was what would happen. It happened, and Argentina were so, so good. They played France off the pitch for 60 minutes. They did. France did not have a shot on goal until literally like the 70th minute. A shot at all, maybe. It was dominance. And for what you said, it was, you know, Argentina need to punish Deschamps' setup and force him to adjust. And he did adjust in the 40th minute. And by then, they were 2-0 down. That's how good... This was from Argentina, like you said, playing the best football of the tournament. It came from their midfield control, right? I think it all started there, as we outlined. You had Fernandez, DePaul, and McAllister, and it was three versus three for France, but Griezmann wasn't tracking back. Dembele was doing nothing on the right wing. Giroud and Mbappe weren't pressing. Uh, France tried to press, honestly. They tried to press, and Argentina was just carving through them because France did not have the legs to press. It's very clear that this French team was not built to press and was incapable of pressing in this setup. Mbappe, as we discussed, doesn't have a great defensive work rate. Dembele was abysmal in this game, and it ended with him being hauled off even before halftime got there. And Olivier Giroud is not a pressing striker. That also got him hauled off after 40 minutes because France were 2-0 down, and they had to do something to get a foothold in this match. That's how good Argentina were. And I think Amit it kind of caught France by surprise because what we've seen from Deschamps is he likes to set his team up. We're going to be cautious. This is going to be cagey. We'll take advantage of spaces. We'll look to use our impressive attack when we can, but this is the world cup final. Nobody's going to be stupid enough to just open themselves up, but Argentina did that and they caught France off guard. They attacked them. They battered them and they turned it into two goals and they looked so good doing it. They did. And it has to be said you know, a lot of this goes to Di Maria, whose individual yes. excellence really, he gets the goal and he wins the penalty on the first goal. 
and he was awesome. And he totally, we said, okay, if Argentina can make that left side of the field, France's left side, a problem, sorry, excuse me, Argentina's left side, yep. France's right side, a problem for France. This is one of the ways they can win the game. We weren't sure that it was going to be Di Maria. We were like, oh, it's on Tagliafico or Acuna and McAllister to go get in that side. This was Di Maria on the left, just hanging out wide, stretching France. And then the midfield were just able to get the ball in transition, get in the middle, get France disorganized, and then let Di Maria get in dangerous situations on the end line. And he cooked. He cooked Stembele on the goal. And it has to be said, Di Maria has been a big game performer his whole career. He didn't play in the 2014 final. Maybe it would have been different. He has a record of Champions League appearances in one of the Champions League finals with Real Madrid when like Real Madrid were at their peak with Bale and Benzema and Cristiano Ronaldo. He was the best player in the field in one of those games. He was great in the Copa America. He was great in the Finalissima. He was excellent today. Like... Messi was on the field and doing good things, messy things, but Di Maria was the reason why Argentina were brutal, or brutally efficient in the final third. And what wins it, the penalty great. And what it made them was they could hurt France at any part of the pitch. Di Maria being that good on that side meant France were getting thrashed there. Messi being that good on the other side meant France were in trouble there. Alvarez being the pressing machine that he was meant they couldn't just find comfort in the middle. And Alexis McAllister, who was also fantastic today, was winning the ball back in the midfield. There was nowhere for France to go. They had no room to breathe in the opening parts of this match. Di Maria does really well to win the penalty. Penalty for you? Yeah, it's it's a little soft, but I get it. Di, I mean, once you're... Once you let someone turn you inside out in the box, you basically need to like back off them. Because if you're behind someone and you touch them at all, you're 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 asking the ref to make a tough call. And in that sense, the way the ref refereed the whole match, it's consistent with what he called later yeah. and he was going to call that type of contact in the box. Okay, penalty. And also I think for me, and this shouldn't necessarily play into it, but I think it does. Argentina deserved that penalty. Sure. For the way that they had played, the impressiveness that they had shown in the first half of that first half, they deserved for that call to break their way, and it did. Messi takes a good penalty, gets them up 1-0, and then admit the second Argentine goal. My goodness. Yeah, this is like the one of the best sequences of team play of the whole tournament, if not the best, right? It's seven touches in 10 seconds. Messi's involved here. His fingerprints are all over this. This is the Messi's team's types of goals that they score, right? With just how quick, how quick it is. And Alvarez's space. And McAllister runs in behind. And then Di Maria runs all the way up. It's just a beautiful goal. And this was Argentina just saying to France, like, you got nothing for us when we're just literally all over you. Every blade of grass, winning the ball, transitioning quickly, making runs. This was Argentina at their best in the whole tournament. And they had built up to this. And this was their team functioning the way that everything about it was supposed to function. This is like, it was like after two goals, you were like, oh, wow, this is not supposed to be this easy. This is insane. And it felt like Argentina were totally, totally in control and going to walk into a World Cup final win. Great finish from Di Maria on the goal as well. 
that is a world-class finish, right? There's not a whole lot of space there. Larice does well to close to come off his line. He's closing down the angle. You have to be precise with that finish, and Di Maria was. So what did France do? They're down 2-0, and they just are simply trying to find a foothold in this match. They have not come to play. I don't know if it's because they had the Middle Eastern respiratory symptom. I don't know if it's because they underestimated Argentina. I don't know if they got caught off guard by Argentina's approach. I don't know what it was, but they were not in this game for 40 minutes. Didier Deschamps, to his credit, realizing that there's probably going to be a significant number of added time here. I can't wait until halftime because it might be three or four if I wait until halftime. Hauls off Dembele, hauls off Giroud, brings on Turam, and makes his team capable of getting a foothold in this match. He stabilized the ship, but he did it at 2-0 down. But as we'll see, it was enough for France to hang around enough in this match. Those were crucial changes for them, even if they didn't have the desired effect right away. Exactly. Stabilizing is the right word. I agree with you. Um, If France had not come back from 2-0 down in such miraculous fashion, I think it would be pretty easy to point to Deschamps to say he didn't get his tactics right. And not necessarily wrong. This is how he rolls out France every big game, but he underestimated Argentina or didn't see this approach. And like you said, France, for whatever reason, were really visibly flat, which is just uncharacteristic of them in this, in a final, no less. But these changes, while they didn't get France back into the game, were necessary as like you said, they literally would have conceded a third, I think. And it was smart from Deschamps. And in the end, very, very smart that his team was able to survive to halftime at 2-0. Survive the first stretch of the second half at 2-0. And they just had a lot more defensive work rate. It was bad for Dembele and Giroud, but he recognized it. So, like, yeah, credit I think to Deschamps. Dembele takes a lot of heat here. He was really bad. Giroud... This game didn't go his way. And once you're 2-0 down and you have to play a more pressing style, Giroud is a luxury that you just can't afford because it just doesn't give you enough at anything other than finishing. Exactly. I think Giroud would have been great in extra time in this game when the chances were flowing. Um, and maybe in a perfect France squad, Giroud is your super sub, big man, go score chances in the box. But Your fellow big horse, if you will. Exactly. And instead... When you have Benzema hurt, he's your best striker. And France, for whatever reason, right, who's their next best number nine? Not really anyone, right? Mbappe yeah. plays nine, or Taram does, but Taram's the left mid. So, yeah, this is this is life at the World Cup, and Deschamps had to do that change. It's tough. So Argentina come out of halftime, and they just keep going for the most part in the second half. I think that was really impressive, and I think that was the right approach They didn't shut up shop immediately. They kept going, and it felt like France is never going to get in this game unless Argentina let them get in the game. And they didn't. But then slowly but surely, and expectedly, I think, Argentina's legs kind of start to go. They're forced to bring off Di Maria. I think you and I both thought that this was maybe a bit early, but also Scaloni probably had a number in his head. He's going to give me 65 minutes. I can't risk him any more than that. Takes off Di Maria, brings on Marcos Acuna, who, as we'll see later on in this match, is not on help Di Maria, particularly in the attack. Argentina get a bit more defensive, and they're simply just not able to continue with the intensity and the rhythm that they had. But they're still two goals up. They're still fine. It's all still going according to plan at this point. 
Right. The Di Maria sub was had to be because of legs, like you said. There had to be a number. And the shape was just not really a 4-3-3 anymore. More of a 4-4-2 because he's playing two stacked left backs. You can't call Acuna a winger. And he wasn't supposed to be high up the field. He's supposed to track back to stop Koundé because most of France attacking ideas in the first 15 minutes of the second half were using the space behind Di Maria and Koundé was building up. And France didn't get a lot from that because Koundé is not excellent at that. But they were getting the ball into the final third, which is more than they could have said earlier. And then Acuna just was not Di Maria, as you said. Multiple times in attack. Very clear. He is not Di Maria. Yeah, he's not as good of a dribbler, not as good as a crosser, but Di Maria's world-class at those things. So it's understandable. And then also for France, they made subs to yep. a, their second set of subs to help come back. And Kingsley Coman comes in for Griezmann and Coman comes into that right wing. And then Kamavinga comes on. Finally, finally. And he played that rotated uh, France-Tunisia game. But uh, instead he comes in, but not in the midfield. He comes in at left back. And it worked because he was somehow the messy pocketer because yep. he's Kamavinga, very good, very athletic has the right idea and France didn't like come all the way back into this game, but they suddenly were able to play higher up the field. They had more athletes on the field to press and they had at that point more legs than Argentina because DePaul and Fernandez and McAllister had been giving insane shifts and they were still running their lungs out. You could see it, but just naturally Argentina's best game plan was get up as much as you can in 60 minutes and hold on. And they generally were in the position to do that. And this has happened to them now, what, three, four times in this tournament? I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Depends how we count the Australia match. Right. But if we count the Saudi Arabia match, if we count the Australia match, if we count the Netherlands match, if we count this match, yeah, that's four times that Argentina were in a winning position in either gave it away or very nearly gave it away. So right as you're starting to think, okay, shut up shop, get this over the line. You, you just need to somehow see this over the line. France create a moment and it's a runner in behind and it's Nicolas Otamendi who has been fabulous, had a great World Cup, was supremely good for Argentina, gets caught on the back shoulder of a runner and he gives up a penalty emit. He gets his legs tangled, cleans out the runner with his legs, pulls him down, and all of a sudden France have a penalty and a lifeline. It was tough for Otamendi for this to happen. Obviously, hindsight, it's, none of this actually matters because Argentina ended up winning this game. Spoiler alert. But I think this was a really harsh moment on a player who was really good for Argentina in this tournament, but also has been prone to these types of moments throughout his career. And one reared its ugly head at would have potentially would have what could have potentially been a terrible moment. Yeah, he like you said, he had been good all tournament. This is the first time someone was really able to get behind him and force him to chase because he's not that fast at this point in his career. He was able to keep the play in front of him because he's a great reader of the game. And yeah, Kolo Muani is one of the things he offers is speed and behind. Um, yeah, it was unfortunate, but this is what France needed. They just needed to get Argentina into transition. They couldn't even do that. 
Argentina had done a really good job through 70 minutes of locking up Mbappe, which we were like, how are they going to do that? The personnel is okay. And it was just a really good effort from Romero and from DePaul, who just shat, sent extra bodies at every point. They just threw four guys at him. Every single time he got the ball, he had to get through four different guys before he could do anything because every Argentine player was running at him full on. So they win the penalty, and Dibu Martinez becomes a main character in this final for the first time and will become a main character in this final for the rest of it. Gets a hand to killing Mbappe's penalty, can't save it. Mbappe scores. It's 2-1. And before you even have time to get like, oh no, this is going to be a really stressful 15 minutes, Kylian Mbappe scores again. And once again, Debo Martinez gets a hand to it. Credit to Mbappe here. This was a fantastic volley finish. Out of nowhere, finally for the first time, after 81 minutes, he finds space. And admit a world-class player like that in a world-class moment did not miss. Yeah, this to me is just unbelievable that for 80 minutes, Mbappe had not been allowed any space. And it, it almost works for France. It needed to happen 90 seconds after the goal. Argentina had no time to adjust because obviously when you're up 2-0 and the other team scores, your first thought is, man, we got to shut this thing up. They didn't get to do that. They give the ball away. It's in transition. It was Messi who gave the ball away too. Kamavinga, yeah. who you mentioned, yeah. had Messi in his pocket on this play, creates the turnover. France are back the other way. Before you know it, Mbappe has found the space and he scored and it's 2-2. And you're like, what just happened? I know. It was truly like, this is where I was like, I can't believe that this has happened again. This was not even, this was worse than the Netherlands one. Because there was like, oh, there's 10 minutes left. France are going to go. I was terrified. France are going to go win this. It very felt like France were going to go find the third goal here. And there were moments in the ensuing kind of 15 minutes that they could have. Because at this point, it's 2-2. There is a weird mix of players on the field between guys who are fresh off the bench with legs and guys who have run 110% shifts for 80 minutes. And so this game just from here on out, turns into after-dark chaos soccer with two teams who are not content for this to go to extra time, not content for this to go to penalties, and it just turns into chaos. And both teams thrived in it in various moments. But Argentina do get through the eight minutes of second-half stoppage time and get this into extra time. And at that point, Amit, it's like, okay, now what do they do? They used up their best players... Angel Di Maria had his moment, created everything. There are no legs in this Argentina team. What are they going to do to find their foothold back in this match, to take control back? Because if they don't, it felt like France were going to go score three goals in extra time. Yeah, they had the right idea to start extra time. First of all, they made a sub at right back to get on Montiel for... um, Molina. Molina, which is just, I think, legs, right? This guy had... Molina had been tracking Mbappe all game. It's not yeah. like right back is going to change everything, but Montel was good. It's a, it's a double change. It's a double minded change here. It's one fresh legs at a position of importance, and two with an eye towards if this goes to penalties. This guy took a penalty against the Netherlands. He's a guy we trust to take a penalty. As you see, he'll end up taking the winning penalty. It's a it, there. There's two minds yeah. behind this change. It's a good extra change. time change, but I think in general, the fact once Argentina survived the eight minutes of stoppage time, which could not, might not have happened. It ended up not being too many great chances because I think 
Argentina, to their credit, did not capitulate <laughs> in the last no, few they minutes. They capitulated in this game for exactly 90 seconds, yeah. in which they went from 2-0 up to 2-2. Other yeah. than that, they had remarkable mental fortitude for the entirety of this game, which, given the fact that they lost this game twice, essentially, was insane. And it's worth talking about now, the XG just in 90 minutes was 1 plus a penalty for Argentina, so around 1.7, and for France, 0.3 plus a penalty. It's just that, I mean, the Mbappe chance isn't that uh, high XG, and as you said, a great finish from a World Cup player. He volleys it out of the air first time, and yes, maybe Dibu Martinez could have saved it, but I think part of the reason why he was out of position is because you don't expect Mbappe to take that first time. That's what makes him good. Argentina had totally had their way in this final and they just were stunned. And I, like you said, credit to them. They had the fortitude to survive extra time. Okay. First 15 minutes of extra time. They just kind of settled in. They're using the ball to, to make France pin back. They're like, okay, we, France is France can't really press us. France does not want to come press us. France had a deep block, but we don't need to like go open ourselves up by getting high up the field. We're just going to use the ball to settle this game down. It was very good from Argentina. And then they get to another set of changes that helps them. Yeah. So we talked about the change with Montiel and then a big, important change in the course of this match comes on and it is Paredes on for DePaul, which was a legs change. DePaul was gassed. Incredible match from Rodrigo DePaul. He was fabulous in this game. Fabulous for Argentina as this tournament went on. Did not start very well for Argentina, but once he settled in, was very good in this tournament. And Lautaro Martinez comes on for Julian Alvarez, another player who had a great World Cup for Argentina and was simply out of legs in this match. And admit, I like the way that you framed this in our rundown here because this is a great World Cup after dark comeback. Uh, Lautaro Martinez cannot pass the Wally Chidera test. <laughs> That's yeah. what happened. <laughs> because I'm going to bring bring the XG back. At the end of extra time, so we went from 90 minutes to 120 minutes. What did I say it was? One goal for Argentina in XG plus a penalty? Yep. 2.6. 2.6. They added 1.6 goals of XG. And one of them is the messy finish. Great. Good good for Argentina that that went in. And Lautaro Martinez gets three chances. No, he got four. four he got chances. four because he gets the chance in the 124th minute to win the World Packers. Cup and yeah. sends it to the sponsor boards. Yeah, so Lautaro Martinez, in the he comes on right before the second half of extra time. And in 15 minutes, Argentina are right back in control of this game because – while I would have loved to have seen the Paredes sub in the 70th minute, I get DePaul, you're just getting everything you can out of him. And perhaps he, there is that much of a difference between DePaul and Paredes. But the second Paredes comes in, there's more legs. Argentina already have the ball. And now they have Martinez to run to get the, the chances that everyone else is creating. And did Argentina create them? Yes. They were really good in opening up France. Messi was finally back in exerting control. He was... They had to account for him. Everyone's making good plays. And then Lotaro gets all these chances, and he just is snake-bitten. When did this happen to him? He's supposed to be a great player. He is a great player, but you wouldn't know it from this tournament. You'd think he's worse than Wally Jadira. Yeah, so I think he had tough luck here. and he had, he had tough luck in the whole tournament. And so when you have that much tough luck, there's maybe something going on. But the two first chances that he had, good blocks by French defenders. Yeah. Like, 
could you be better and finish them? Of course. But they were underratedly good blocks from French defenders in both cases. And then the third chance, he's just like, I'm going to hit this as hard as I possibly can and see if something happens. And it does, because it comes off Hugo Lloris right to Lionel Messi, who in this weird moment puts the ball over the line. It's cleared, but it clearly crosses the line. I thought there was an offside in the build. I didn't even celebrate this goal for Argentina. I was so convinced it was coming back. And the commentators here didn't even celebrate this goal because they thought it was coming back. But turns out we get the VAR replay and the big rear end of a French defender stuck out, keeps an Argentine player offside. And Messi scores what almost assuredly, what has to be a mitt, his World Cup moment. It's the World Cup winner. Argentina have done it. Except there was still 12 minutes to see out. Yeah, I zombie France, man. You can't kill him. This was an amazing goal for Argentina. I know it's a rebound that falls to Messi because Lautaro... You know, it's harsh to say he bricked this chance because he, he has a tough he, angle, right? He intentionally he bricked it, right? Like he hit it as hard as he possibly hard. could and said something will happen. Yeah, and in, that sense, in that sense, it was good from Lautaro. And this was a great buildup. And it was like, oh, man, even though France have made it this far, they're still getting opened up and battered by uh, Argentina. This was Argentina winning the game for a second time. They had – Scaloni had done it right. Okay, maybe he made – some tough changes, but he had made good changes. And now Argentina, we're back in control. And with 12 minutes left, you're like, all right, just shut it up. And this one, you can't even blame anything on Argentina here. It's Messi, or it's Mbappe from 25 yards out the box, and it just hits the hand of Montiel. And it is a it is a handball in the box. And it's like, what do we have to do to get a result over the line? You can't account for that. Yeah, and... This is a penalty. It's unfortunate. You hate that it's a penalty. You hate that it comes in the 117th minute of the World Cup final. But it's a penalty. Like, Montiel is making his body bigger. It's a goal-bound shot. It hits him in the arm. It has to be a penalty. It sucks that it's a penalty. It's annoying that it's a penalty. But it's a penalty. And Mbappe, very coolly, doesn't give Debu Martinez the chance to get a hand on this one. Makes it 3-3. And we're at this point in, like, the 118th minute. And we're not even close to getting to penalties at this point because this game had more in store for us, Amit. Because, again, the chaos soccer is back. Yeah, because both teams were like, ah, oh, there's two minutes. Let's go win it before penalties. This is our. This is as good of a chance as you're going to get. This game is in utter chaos. And both teams come this close to scoring. Kolomuani played into acres of space. And you're thinking, oh my god, Argentina have literally screwed this up so badly this that they're not in, even getting to penalties. This is in FIFA, when the ball comes to Call of Water, you're ready to just, you're already pressing the Xbox button to turn your Xbox off <laughs> and the goal goes in the back of the net. You're like, we've just blown two leads in the World Cup final. Like, you're already, and then no, Divu Martinez... This save is insane. It's maybe not a great finish from Kwani, but it's good enough. It's an insane save. Oh, my goodness. Main character Debu Martinez is back. Off his line, as big as he can possibly get, and he makes the save of his life. Where every time you watch this replay back, you're like, oh, my God, they're going to lose the World Cup. They're going to lose it. Oh, no, he saved it. And I I know know it's going to happen. But every time it comes on, I think it's going in. And that wasn't even the end of it, Amit, because back the other way, 
Argentina create another chance for Mr. Snake bitten himself, Lautaro Martinez. He's wide open in the box. It's a header to win the World Cup in the 124th minute, and he doesn't get it anywhere close to goal. No, like, not even close. Uh, what a what a sequence from Martinez to Martinez at one end. Oh my gosh, this is where this is where I think everyone watching this game with any sort of emotional stake just just fell over. Yes, yeah. healed over. It's, this is when we were all like, this match is really something insane. And this is where the professional footballers who make up the Argentine men's national football team have a much better mental composition than I do. Because at this point, I'm like, there's no way they win this. There is no chance this they win this. what we said about Brazil when Croatia tied it up. We were like, uh, Brazil did not have the time to emotionally yeah. recover. I, for the record, for the record, texted you yes. before the Mbappe goal, the third one. And yes. I said, the bad news here is that if France somehow score, there is not enough time for Argentina to emotionally recover for the shootout. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, this no. is why we're not professional footballers. Why Argentina but are. Somehow, some way, they just shook it off again for the third time in this match. Yeah. The shootout, we're here. We finally yeah. made it to the shootout. And yeah. you know what? This is the part of the match that needs the least analysis. Dibu Martinez is the shootout guy, and he did it again. And Hugo Lloris, is the not. broadcast said he's not a shootout guy. I think it's tough for a keeper to not be a shootout guy. But clearly, in the four pens we saw, he was not. He well, had five, a, if you count the one in, in, in yes, regular time as well. In regular time. And he didn't really get a hand to any of them and that's kind of disappointing he almost kick saves the one down the middle from Dybala who oh, by yeah. the way I forgot Paulo Dybala came into this match we didn't even get there yet all right so let's go to the penalties here kind of we don't have to go one by one but there's big penalties that are taken here first up up steps Kaelin Mbappe he scored a world cup hat trick he is 23 years old he is trying to win the world cup for the second time in that short span and he takes a penalty that once again, Dibu Martinez gets a hand to it and can't keep it out. That must have driven Martinez absolutely nuts. It it would have driven me nuts, but that's Martinez who will go next. Messi steps up, his second penalty of the day, and he just wrong foots Hugo Lloris. And he, he takes it so casually, Lloris almost gets yeah, there. I know. It's a slow motion penalty where he sends Larice the wrong way and takes it, as you said, so slowly that Larice has time to go back the right way and almost get to it. And I, again, thought, please don't miss this, Messi. You've been so good. You have done everything. I do not want this to be on you. And he didn't. And he He took, for the second time in this tournament, a really good, calm, collected penalty to start the shootout. Then from there... It was big for both teams to get, yep. like, if either Mbappe or Messi missed, the vibes were going to be very bad for that team. So credit yep. to both of them. It's Dibu Martinez time, Amit, because after he gets a hand to Mbappe's penalty and doesn't save it, France step up again. Who was it, the second one for France? Kingsley Coman. Kingsley Coman saved by Dibu Martinez. Yep. And this was just a good save. He just read it perfectly. Uh, that's what he does. Yep. That's what he does. And then for Argentina, up steps Paolo Dybala, who came on as a 118th minute substitute or whatever it was with the sole intention of taking a penalty. And admit, we said earlier in the tournament, this never works. And it almost assuredly shouldn't have worked for a player who is 
literally Paulo Dybala, who is just like this ghost in the Argentine squad, technically there, but happens to play the exact same position as the greatest player of all time, who is also in the team. Yeah, I mean, I said Messi's penalty was cold. Paulo Dybala was literally cold. He yes. had come into this match for a minute, had not worked up a sweat. Everyone around him is just like steam coming off them from the hardest shift of their life. <laughs> and he he's probably has the right idea. He's like, you know, my feet might not know where to put this ball. I'm going right down the middle. And it worked. So good job to you, Paulo Dybala. That was a really high-pressure situation that could have got a lot worse. Oh, man. Yeah. I can't believe yeah. it. And, it, I, and I think it was a really good decision to take this right down the middle because Lloris has been all over the place on penalties on the two that he's tried to save so far in this match. You know from reputation he's not a penalty shootout guy. He's probably going to go here. Lloris doesn't have the stones like Debo Martinez to stay in the middle. Like, no. Lloris is not going to do that. Especially not on the second one. And I mean, he's, yeah, he's probably just thinking, oh, he's going to his foot, his strong foot. I'm going to save it. Okay, and then Chalmany steps up next, and Diva Martinez... But first, before Chalmany can even get to the ball, yeah. Diva Martinez just sends it... I don't know where he sent it to. I never saw he a just clip kind of it. like, launches it to the edge of the box. Yeah, just, like, just 20 like, yards out, and he's like, he's go get like, it. Yeah, you go get it. Chalmany, I was just reading his face. I was like, ah, oh, he looks unfazed by this. He, he is kind of just, like, amused. But clearly, it was a long run-up, and... I think it's that thing where he, he knows Debu's going to guess right, so he's got to put it in the corner. This is not a save from Debu, but this is Debu being Debu. Yep. He exactly. earns this miss, I think. Yeah, he gets credit for this because you're exactly right. It's Chalini trying to place this, and maybe he even sees Martinez is going the right way and has to place it even more, and he misses the target. And then Argentina are in the exact same spot that they were in against the Netherlands where they have created themselves a very good situation. And up steps, who took the third penalty? Paredes. Yeah, Paredes. Yeah, he takes one that Larice almost saves, honestly. Um, it's in the left side. It's savable, but Larice can't stop it. Uh, then Kolo Muwani comes for France. I thought he was going to miss because he had been stoned earlier, and he is a sub. He had been fine for France in this game. He earned the penalty, but he took one right down the middle. And then on comes Montiel, the penalty extraordinaire. Not the guy you would necessarily have penciled to yeah. win the World Cup for Argentina. But as you know him, he's a big game player. That's why he's here. Yeah, he was a big game player when he was with River Plate. He was a big game player when he took the penalty for Argentina against the Netherlands and scored it. And he's the man who steps up with the chance to win the World Cup for Argentina. And he makes no mistakes about it. Pockets it in a weird celebration where I think he was just exhausted and just slowly took his shirt off. Yeah. So now we've recapped the game and the penalties. And in this amount of time, Didier Deschamps is now making his first subs. That's how long it took to go through <laughs> this game. So now we can change the podcast. What a stupid, stupid game. Like that's how crazy it was. For that's us how many moments it. there were in this I game. I think it was, it was, uh, you said this to me at some point. I don't remember when you said it. Today has just been a blur. All the time has has rubbed together. Very good of Gonzalo Montiel to make this penalty and just get it over with because we knew who was probably stepping up for the fifth penalty based on what happened against the Netherlands, and it was Mr. Snakebitten himself, Lautaro Martinez. And he did it once. Did it against the Netherlands. I'll give him credit for that. But I do not know if I would be confident in him doing it again. Yeah. It's good that he didn't have to take one. 
how we yeah. wouldn't have to have the ultimate litmus while the Jadira test. Um, hey, maybe not to bring up the three percent again, but maybe it literally was just that Dibu Martinez is a penalty kick superstar and Hugo Lloris isn't, and that was all the edge at the end of whatever happened at the end of Argentina putting up two point seven four four xg whatever, including the penalties, and France doing nothing at the end of all of that. Maybe it was just that Dibu Martinez was better than Hugo Lloris in this one. That is a remarkably reductive way of thinking about what we witnessed today in this World Cup final. But I like it. I'll stick with it. I'll go with it. Um, And Lionel Messi wins the World Cup. All right. We've done the blow-by-blow. As you said, it took 40 minutes. But it had to because that's how many moments there were in this match. I think we should try to put this into perspective or at least talk about the things that are worth talking about from a perspective narrative. And I'll start here. I had this sinking feeling that Lionel Messi was going to be Sisyphus in this World Cup. That he was going to get the rock so close to the top of the hill. And this game was that. They were up 2-0. They were tied 2-2. He literally scores the goal to put them up 3-2. France come back to tie it 3-3. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to lose on penalties. And Messi is just good. We're going to have to see sad Messi again. And they got it done. And I don't, it wasn't, I mean, Lionel Messi took his penalty and he made it. But everybody else around him stepped up and at multiple points in this tournament made it so that Lionel Messi was not the sole player carrying Argentina in this tournament. And that was a massive difference for them. I think that's the difference because... He was also at his best for Argentina, and he did. He won this game for them twice, and he took his penalty. But for Argentina to get over the line, they needed the whole team. And it's almost fitting that he, at the end of the day, it was not in Messi's hands. For everything he's given in his career, his legacy was not in his control. He needed Argentina to carry him over the line. And they did this time because... I don't know the answer to why, but their mentality clearly was something that they've had this whole tournament, their camaraderie, their chemistry, all these vibes stuff. Is that why Argentina won the shootout? We'll never know, but it is certainly why they didn't lose it. Right. Right. For this shootout to have been an even match after what Argentina had gone through in the 120 minutes is a massive credit to their mentality. Right. Because we saw it with Brazil. You, you said it to me during this match. There's no time to emotionally recover from an equalizer. We saw it exactly with Brazil. It could have happened to Argentina here, and they just steadfastly refused for that to be the narrative here in this final. Yeah. Credit to their mentality this whole tournament, and credit to Scaloni, who definitely, obviously, passed the test of whether or not an inexperienced manager can do it. He won the whole thing. And I think through this tournament, he had pulled the right, levers more often than not and he has to take credit for the part of the reason the mentality of the squad is so good because of the chemistry he's fostered I know that you know players are the players and he's the manager but like there's something to be said about this group's fortitude that was clearly on display throughout this tournament so maybe it's a good thing to have a former player of Argentina right a former Messi teammate in this role maybe that adds to the reason why their mentality was good 
Yeah, he was awesome again in this match today. I mean, you can quibble with the timing of some of the changes and all that, but those are very, very he, minor. Even things. when France tied it two-two in truly one of the most miraculous comebacks we've ever seen, he made the changes to give Argentina the lead again. It's yeah. not his fault that it's a handball in the twenty-five yeah. yard shot. Like that's stuff you can't control. And he unequivocally got it right to start this match. Yeah. He, in a World Cup final, went up a guy against a guy who won the last World Cup final and made him make changes in the 40th minute. It's That's a, a tip of the that you've got outcoached. So was this the greatest World Cup final ever? Was this perhaps even the greatest sporting event ever? Yeah, I've seen takes on the timeline. I saw all the takes on the timeline. And uh, I don't think you can go big enough on this one. I mean, who knows in all of history and... Sports, comparing across sports is subjective. Comparing across eras is subjective. But for what we saw with our eyes, uh, to get a final this crazy, like all the moments we talked about, for it to come in with the billing, with the legacies on the line, the stage matters, right? Is this the craziest game of football we've ever seen? No, but it's up there. Perhaps one of the craziest games we've or anyone ever seen in any sport. You add that plus the stakes, plus the players involved, and then it's then you get to like yeah I think I think it's in that conversation, um, I think it's probably the most memorable World Cup match of all time. I mean, in a hundred years, when you're talking about the greatest soccer players ever, I'm sure Messi and Mbappe are going to be in the conversation, and someone's going to say, "Well, remember when they played each other, and it was a fair fight? One dude, one dude had a hat trick, and the other dude scored twice and cemented like." Yeah, I don't like I don't know. Like I'm okay with calling it the the greatest final, greatest soccer World Cup game ever, greatest sporting event. Sure. It's it delivered. It just delivered. And I I'm not sure there's a better advertisement for what makes all the things that we love about this sport good and like why? Because of the And emotion. about this tournament. It yeah. was the it was the perfect display of why this sport is so incredible and also why this tournament brings out the best of this sport because it was two countries desperately wanting to win this match and it was a player who wanted to seal his legacy so badly in Lionel Messi you saw how much this meant to him and his mindset from the get-go in this match was it just looked so good he was loose he was confident and they just did not get down. They refused to break. France had them broken on so many different occasions this match. And Argentina just refused to let that be the end of the story, the end of the narrative. Yeah. And I think we have to finally, we've given credit many, many times, but give a last full deserved credit to France, Deschamps, and Mbappe, who to us were the perfect foil on the world stage were more than worthy of being remembered as I think one of the greatest runs generations here. And they still have more for them because their core is young. We'll see them be probably the favorites in 2026 if they want to be. And they had injury hurt them in before this tournament and they still got to the final. So it's really incredible what they did. And it's incredible for Mbappe to like drag them into this game with like no chances. That's what he does. Let's let's touch on that injury thing. Did we see all of those injuries and France not having maybe first choice players at a number of key positions finally cost them in this game? 
I think so. I think Conte's the big one because they were bossed by Morocco in the midfield. They were bossed here um, against Argentina for 70 minutes. And Rabio was good, but was definitely suffering. Maybe that was the reason why France's midfield couldn't cover as much ground. And there's a drop-off, right, to then Fofana uh, and players like that. So they missed him and his defensive work rate. We did the Benzema thing. I mean, Benzema won the Ballon d'Or last year, right? Yeah. Like, I think they missed Christopher Nkunku, who's a really good goal scorer, because you know who you could have put at right wing instead is that guy instead of Dembele, right? They had to roll with Dembele, and Dembele is sometimes really, really good for Barcelona. But in, when he wasn't, they didn't have another option. Um I don't. I mean, Pogba. You could say they miss Pogba. I. I think maybe. I think Pogba at this point's past it, but he plays better for France than he does at a club level. But yeah, all of those things added up. And as we said, each tournament, the margins matter more and more. And this is one where France, the best team in the world, finally was maybe not the best team in the world because their depth wasn't as good as it had been. Argentina was able to match them blow for blow, and a lot of that was probably down to the fact that, as you said, France were missing big players at big positions. But Argentina were obviously also missing players, not to the level that France were, but there's no Giovanni and there's also in this team, et cetera, et cetera. You can make that case about any team, but I think it's fair and it's valid to, to point that out for France. You know what you probably shouldn't do to Argentina, Amit? You shouldn't give them any more motivation than they already have. And you know what Kylian Mbappe probably did in May? I think he gave them a little bit of extra motivation. We saw this quote get brought back up I don't know who the initial interview was with. It was ESPN FC who had the initial tweet. Uh, the Kylian Mbappe South America quote, Argentina and Brazil don't have that level of competition in South America. The football is not as developed as in Europe. Ugh. Not great. Yeah, I'm glad that didn't rear its way into the broadcast. It's a bad look for Mbappe. Uh, he should know better, right? <laughs> It's also May, and the World Cup is in yeah. December. You're like, ah, whatever. I'm just going to say this. It's not going to matter. But Argentines don't forget at all. No, they did it. And, uh, yeah, Argentina, clearly the chip on their shoulders mattered, right? Yeah. That was a, a big thing for them in this tournament, and it was something we talked about on multiple occasions was the vibes, the whatever you want to use to refer to it, was very good with Argentina throughout this tournament, and I think it mattered today. It clearly had to have mattered because they stayed in this when they very well could have folded. All right, some other just kind of good things to bring up about this match that we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, the broadcast cut a lot to the French president, Emmanuel Macron, who looked to be living this match. Right, the, the sleeves were rolled up. The impressive dress shirt was sweaty. He was all in on the goals. You may have wondered, Amit, why are they not cutting to the Argentine president, Alberto Fernandez? Why didn't he make the trip to Qatar? Fun fact, he was actually invited to Qatar by none other than Emmanuel Macron, who said, hey, come to Qatar. We'll watch the match together. Which also, side note, would have been a truly terrible experience. <laughs> Wouldn't have wanted to do that. And Alberto Fernandez, I think this was more a political play than anything. The political nature of it is if you go to Qatar and Argentina lose, everybody's going to say they lost because you went. And if they go <laughs> and you win, everybody's going to say, ah, you're just another slimy politician trying to take advantage of a sporting moment. But he had a really good response to it and said, I'm going to watch the Argentina match from home. 
which is where I've watched all the Argentina matches, because superstitions are superstitions. Good choice. It worked out. Worked out. Yeah, good job. Good job. <laughs> I love that type of stuff. I love that type of stuff. Uh, other things here. The broadcast experience here on TV Publica in Argentina was as to be expected. Just insanity in the last half an hour. Our play-by-play man, Pablo Hero, he of the no pasa nada with the 101st minute equalizer from the Netherlands. At one point in this broadcast, after the penalty was called, dropped a, and I quote, es una malita pesadilla, which translates literally to, it's an effing nightmare. <laughs> yep, agreed. It was. Yeah, it was. I mean, Argentina fans lived through their worst nightmare in this match, and it was saved at the end, but I can't imagine the feeling of blowing it twice. It was terrible, terrible. It was uh, a nightmare. It was. <laughs> yeah, the Andres Contour goal call on Telemundo, yeah. he was uh, Argentina Roots. Great moment. I mean, yeah, that was cool. I don't need to talk too much about broadcast. I'm happy that Fox is done broadcasting the matches here. But at the end of the day, right, the broadcast feed was mostly produced on site so it was still enjoyable they got enough of it right i'd love if someone else had the rights to the world cup espn did better but whatever it's done you uh you think we could crowdfund 2026 has already been taken but 2030 is on the table yeah i'm not sure we could do that uh i don't know probably we'll think we could you don't think we can haul in the billions necessary okay it's just we're at the point, we're 53 minutes in, it's grim that Fox has the World Cup. They are just uh, a network that is actively not interested in covering the game the right way, but the World Cup is too big for them to fail, so they could just roll out whatever they want. And Alexi Lalas, uh, noted World Cup after dark uh, contributor in spirit, uh, I'm tired of seeing him on TV. Uh, really, really just get him off the TV. Okay, that's enough for me. Um I liked it better when it, the World Cup wasn't on Fox. Okay. And if Telemundo had 4K, I would watch every game on Telemundo. But Fox has 4K, and it looks better. So there you go. He's on TV a lot, Alexi Lawless. They use him a lot. He gets his money. Gets his money. Well, he, he yells things, and that could be entertaining for people. Sure. Speaking of yelling things, first take tomorrow. You think we're leading with the Dallas Cowboys or Messi Mbappe? Dallas Cowboys lost in overtime. I know it's Stephen A's coming in. Maybe okay. he'll wear, maybe he'll wear a cowboy hat and a Messi jersey because Messi is and I quote a bad man. There you go. Um, all right, we're diving off the rails here, just like the Argentina France match did. If we could last another ten minutes, we would get to the point when that match also went off the rails after <laughs> about an hour and a couple of minutes. Um, all right, the celebrations here in Argentina. It was just I don't know a unique otherworldly experience uh unlike anything obviously i'd ever witnessed i would imagine obviously you weren't here but uh, unlike anything you'd ever witnessed as well just the outpouring of joy and elation and also initially relief because there was just this sense of they did it they actually did it messy did it he did it they did it for him he did it for them for us uh was really incredible and so after the match, you know, I, I went out and, and just in my name, I didn't go down to the, to the Obelisco, which is just going to be a nightmare for about the next three weeks, potentially. I don't know when that's going to go back to normal. But just the amount of people just 
out on the street celebrating. They closed down the whole big avenue in my neighborhood and people just kept coming from everywhere. It was just people and more people and families. And and the coolest thing about it for me uh, and the thing that really kind of struck me was it was everybody. And Argentina is not really a country of everybody. Um, when River Plate win, it's the River Plate fans and the Boca fans are mad. When Boca Juniors win, it's the Boca Juniors fans and the River Plate fans are mad. When it's a protest, it's one side or the other who has mobilized and is out on the street. And there's always somebody against the people who are out on the street making life difficult for people or celebrating whatever it is. But it wasn't that today because it was everybody. And it was families. It was old people. It was young people. It was single people. It was this really cool experience um, and is obviously something that I will not ever forget in my life and to be here during a world cup was an immense experience and to be here during a world cup that argentina won and also the world cup that they won for Lionel messi um, really really cool really cool yeah it's, it's once in a lifetime type of stuff right like yeah south uh, argentina have won three world cups um first south american world cup since 2002 I mean, what you're talking about is stuff we understand, right? The power of sport, the power of soccer, the power of World Cup, the power of sport to unite. Sure, we understand all that stuff, but then to see it, right, yeah. for a South American team to win, and you see how what it means, and then for Argentina to win, for Messi to win, the layers just keep adding up. It's not going to be like this, anything like this ever again. Like, I don't know. That, yeah, that's the, that's the thing about it is – Winning the World Cup is one level and is an insanely high level to try to get to. But winning it for a multi-generational superstar on what is probably his last chance, although Lionel Scaloni didn't close the door. He said in 2026, tension. Cheers, Messi. Cheers, buddy. Smart. Like, Good manager. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. You're not going to say anything else. But I think for all of that to happen, it's like, I don't know. I can't say that it's the most significant World Cup win there's ever been. But it's just insane. And it happened. And Lionel Messi won a World Cup. And I'm super ecstatic for him and for his family and for everything he's been through in an Argentina shirt. And it's so, like, trite to say. But it just makes you really happy. Because it should. It because Yeah. You're in Argentina, but... So I'm not in Argentina, but I feel many of the things you feel. I have always been a Messi fan. I've never been like a Barcelona fan or a Messi like fan fan. Like, oh, I follow him everywhere. But in the Messi Ronaldo debate, I've always kind of leaned Messi. And I just think even people that are on the other side of that debate, anyone that's been a fan of football, I think you have to appreciate him. And now, right? The legacy is unassailable. There's no one who could say anything. And he was already the greatest of all time before this tournament, before this win in the final, before his Golden Ball Award. But he's left no doubt. And that's what's, like, beautiful about his legacy, right, is that he's won the World Cup. He has no holes on his resume. And to do it with Argentina and South America is adding to that. I mean, he's 
I, I, I think it's pretty definitive at this point. I don't want to hear arguable anymore. I know there's Pele and Maradona, but like, it's what Messi has done is insane, man. And what he's the era he's done it in. I, 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 you can't compare across eras. So I don't think it's fair. So I think it's the fi- most thing you could say he's the best player of his generation. But that hasn't been close for a while. But now he's in the stratosphere of like greatest athlete of all time. And I'm not going to say he is or isn't. He's in that conversation. But in soccer alone, like what he's done is wild. And the fact that he didn't just get this title um, by being a passenger to me is what's the most impressive. He was the best player for Argentina on the best team in the tournament. And that at thirty age 35, after 15 years of his career in World Cup struggles and the emotional weight, like what what else is there to say about Lionel Messi that hasn't been said? He truly is the greatest footballer ever. I like I don't I don't know what to say, man. And that's why if you've ever liked football, you're happy for him. I feel like and if you're not happy for him, like whatever you've got going on about it, that's that's on you. That's fine, but like it's really hard not to be romantic about this. It's really and, hard. And it's so cool because this is a thing that probably won't matter to Messi now. Maybe it will, like, in a couple of weeks. But to have that, yeah, but, just out of the conversation forever, right? That was always the thing. It's like, oh, yeah, but can he actually be without having one? But no, it's gone. That's not an argument. It's not a viable argument anymore. And as you said, there is no way of taking his role in this win as well out of it. He was fundamental to Argentina. He was immense for Argentina. And they do not win this World Cup without Lionel Messi on so many moments. And maybe he wasn't actually the best player on the pitch for them today. I think there's an argument to be made that it was actually on Di Maria. But other than that, this tournament, he was their most important player. He was their talisman. He was their captain. He was their uniting force. And they got it done. That's such a good story. We so often don't get that story. Something always goes wrong. And you're left ruining, oh, it would have been great, but France got a penalty in the 116th minute, scored it, and then won on penalties. Oh, it would have been great, but... Argentina gave up a penalty and then France immediately equalized and then France went on and won the match 3-2. But somehow Argentina put all of that behind them and Lionel Messi ended this night by lifting the World Cup trophy. Yeah, yeah. it's That's it. It's so good. And it's we did that one podcast where we were like, you know, there's the LeBron, the Tiger, the Serena, the Rafa, the Roger, this last athlete. They're athletes, sorry, on their last dance type of thing. You know, Michael Jordan, 98, they're doing like, can the old guy who's aging still get one more? And that story is beautiful. And it's also the Argentina story baked into that with the team playing for him. I mean, like what? I don't know what else to add. We could go, we could do, we could talk for two hours about Lionel Messi's career, his legacy. But the fact that you said the Hollywood ending isn't supposed to happen that was my point about those other ones. When it's yeah. happening, you're always like, I can't believe he's doing it. Something's, it's like it's like the Bruce Willis action movie or the Liam Neeson action movie. We were like, oh, this guy's too old. There's no way he's going to do it. 
but it's the action movie, so he gets it done. But here it is. Like, they did everything <laughs> they could have done to stop him. He's he's a superstar in the highest sense of the word. He's transcended, like, whatever is supposed to happen. I don't know. France tried their best France magic to stop this from happening, and it still happened. Why? Why? I don't know why. I don't know why. This game made no sense to me, but Messi won, and that's Hollywood. And there's the cool – it is a Hollywood finish. Like, it's it's so Hollywood that you walk out of the theater after you see it, and you're like <laughs> – I mean, good movie, but, like, come on. They're yeah, cracking. Right. Like, that's, it gets to 2-2, and they're crumbling. Like, that's right. what happens that's, in real life. Yeah. No, you're right. That's what happens in real life. And that's what that's why you get, like, the rigged narrative. Like, oh, it's rigged. Oh, it's rigged. You think they rigged this one? Yeah. It's a, yeah. That narrative out the window with what happened here. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I. It's, it's just, yeah, every, I don't know. I think back on this match, and every time I think back on it, there's something new. I don't know if it's new. Something different pops into my head, right? It's like, oh, my God, that's a thing that happened. Like, we were preparing to do this podcast. We kind of let it sit for the day, mainly just to try and process it a little bit. And it was like, oh, I forgot that Dembele was hauled off after 40 minutes. Like, that was going to be the narrative. Argentina were so good that France had to make changes after 40 minutes. And that ended up being, like, three levels down on the things you remember from this match because of how crazy it was. Yeah, it gave us everything, I think. This will be one of the most rewatchable matches of all time. Um, and it's so much more rewatchable because it has a happy ending. Like, I'm yeah. content. I'll sit well, back I'll t- and I'll, I'll talk just... about I want to talk about this one just specifically. We we both love sports, right? Yeah. Um, I like LeBron. I, I like all sorts of star players. You know how many views the last seven minutes of Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals has? Like millions of millions of millions. People just will go watch the fourth quarter of that game. This is like that because of the happy ending. And for me, Roger Federer's 2019 Wimbledon, I can't watch it. I watch a lot of old tennis matches and I can't watch it because he loses to Novak Djokovic. He has two match points. It's like, how do you choke that? That's what happened. That's what this was supposed to be. But the happy ending, everyone ever is going to be like, let's go watch Messi win his World Cup. Like, it's going to be the, this will age, this match will age as the greatest match of all time, like fine wine. Like, it's just going to go down as that like, for all the content. Like, we're sitting here trying to unpack the content, what, six hours, seven hours later, and we're like running on fumes here an hour and six minutes in. Just think about going able to revisit this match in your life at some point. It will give everything back to you. Soccer, soccer gave us everything today. It did. Yeah, and I think the really cool thing for me specifically is it's going to give all that back to me and it's going to take me back to a really unique place with it. Like, you're going to be brought back to your apartment in Chicago, which is a cool place to be. You got three cats. Love cats. But, like, there's no visceral connection with the match itself. Whereas, like, from my perspective, it's like in 10 years – I'm going to fire this match up and I'm going to sit back and I'm going to laugh. Yeah, when France right. score, I'm just going to laugh. And it's going to be like, ah, <laughs> I thought I was dead. I thought it was over. And it's going to take me back to this experience of, of living this exact World Cup with these players in this moment. Um, and it's incredible. 
Argentina are coming home tomorrow, Monday night. I hope they sleep on the plane. I am exhausted, like me. I did nothing today. I walked outside for an hour after they won, and I was just like, I'm done. I have to go back home. I'm tired. And they somehow survived the roller coaster of not only this game, but also this entire tournament, which, as we said, was a roller coaster tournament for Argentina. Uh, they come home tomorrow. Tuesday, there theoretically could be a, a meeting with the crowd. I will not be attending because there's no chance I get anywhere close to seeing anything of consequence at that. It's just going to be a lot of people in the street singing all the songs that we've been singing for a month now. Uh, but yeah, the celebrations are going to go on and on here in Argentina. And when Argentina show up at the 2026 World Cup in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, and maybe even more so when they show up to the 2038 World Cup in, I don't know, the moon at that point, potentially. <laughs> new colony, FIFA colony on the moon. The songs that they sing are going to be about this day. Like yep. the whole Muchachos song with 86 and 78 and the Malvinas and all of that. The new verses are all going to be about this day and this moment and Messi and Debu and Di Maria and McAllister and Talia Fico and Cuti Romero and, and all of those players. Um, and that is also something that's really cool. Like it's eternal. You can't take this moment away from them ever for any reason whatsoever. Um, and for that to, to be with Lionel Messi is, is pretty darn cool. You have anything else here as we wind this thing to a close? No, uh, I was just going to bring up, you know, we, we picked Argentina as the romantic pick and we acknowledged it. And yeah. we both, I think secretly this whole tournament, we're like, uh, we're going to get caught. We're going to get caught. <laughs> yes. we're gonna get caught. Argentina at best in this tournament, we're the third best team. And over time, I think they deserved, they deserve to win. They were the best team here. It's not often that the best team wins. Actually, it's hard because by the time you've won four knockout matches, you you can say that you're the best team. But yeah. it's like, you know, did were they the best team coming in? No, but at the end, they were. And it was truly incredible. I just am impressed by it. And it's a testament to the, you know, maybe we knew what we were talking about at the start. Maybe we didn't I see it going it like this, but... I think there was a reason at the, the start of this podcast, the stuff we all thought would matter about Argentina's X factors and the extra whatever showed up. And that's I no disrespect to France, who clearly brought their own set of everything that makes them good. But in the end, right, we saw that Argentina had the messy effect, which mattered. They had the squad that mattered. They had a manager that could do it. He answered the questions. And they just navigated the true unpredictable chaos of knockout soccer better than anyone else. Because in this format, at some point, everything goes out the window and you need to be the biggest dudes in the room. And they were, and like we we've reduced, we've reduced every game in many ways, but I'm fine reducing it to that. And that Argentina's mentality helped them in this one. Well, that is the thing that I think makes this title so endearing to me. I mean, it's endearing to me for a lot of reasons, being here, it being messy and all of that. But we've hit this age of soccer, football, where analytics are crucially important and numbers and stats and performances and formations and tactics and all of that. And there is a place for all of that. And all of that is very clearly abundantly important. 
But it also makes me feel really good that at the end of the day, something that cannot be quantified by that, there is no XV. There's no expected vibe. There's no X, your goalkeeper is probably sick in the head, but it worked for you because he can make penalty saves. There's none of, nothing can quantify that. And at the end of the day, that mattered for Argentina in this tournament. And it's reinforcing that teams that showed up to this tournament with a pile of stats, and I'm not anti-analytical. I think analytics are fundamentally important. I think they help us understand the game. I think they make the game better. But I also think that they cannot explain everything and that it's foolish to try and quantify everything in a number. And so for Argentina to win this World Cup in a way that was numerically unquantifiable was very rewarding to me personally and to my ethos of what I want this sport to be. And that has made me very happy. I'm with you. At the end of the day, for all the control that you can try to put into a soccer game, at best, it's, you know, 50% skill and 50% luck. And teams have spent the better part of the last 10, 15 years trying to squeeze that margin to 52 to 53%. Uh, But in the end of the day, like, yeah, I'm with you. And like, I'm an analytics guy. I love analytics. I think more, not more than you, but I like will sing their praises and be like, they inform us. They can t- teach us things. You should make decisions based on them. And we, we agree, I think. We're, we're on the same page about them. But because I'm also of the mind that the other stuff matters. Yeah. And could it, is this like hindsight is 2020? We're saying it mattered because Argentina won? Sure, I think so. But I think also, you know, if you've been listening to us this whole time, like the stuff we said about Argentina showed up, right? And on multiple know, occasions in multiple occasions. So it, there, there's something to mental toughness in sport. There's something to developing it as a skill. There's something to chemistry in sport and developing that as a skill to managing egos uh, and collective will and Argentina, you know, were they perfect? Will we ever know how much it mattered? No, but they got enough of it, right. That they won, right. Someone had to win this tournament and if they were going to, they were probably going to be good at all the intangibles. You need the intangibles in place to make the other 50% of your skill work. And that was there for Argentina this tournament. So we're on the same page. I was pleased that Argentina won. They weren't the necessarily the best team here on talent, but they did so many things in the margins to help them win. And they weren't all like analytical on the field things. And they got rewarded for attacking the game. I also like that about it. In a tournament that didn't actually see a lot of negative football, which I think was a good thing. Maybe at points there were. Coming off a World Cup that I think saw a lot of negative football. In 2018, it was a World Cup that was dominated by the post-analytical, reduce the game into moments, have the better moment makers. Argentina didn't play that style at this World Cup, pretty much at any point. And because of that, it's great to see them get rewarded for showing up at this World Cup final. The biggest occasion for just about every single one of these players and saying, you know what? We're going to attack this game. We're going to attack it with vigor, with venom. We're going to blow a lead twice and we're going to get rewarded for our attacking nature. I think that is a good thing as well. And that helps this sport going forward because maybe it makes more people try to play the game this way. 
yeah, I think I'm with you. I'm with you. They approach was good and courageous and it shows you don't have to necessarily limit the events to win if you have the right idea and the right approach and the right personnel. And it goes to Argentina, you know, something that the numbers maybe missed was how good their midfield was and how good Alvarez and Enzo Fernandez were. And that's another big X factor is that, you know, for all the data we have, it can be wrong or it can be misleading, right? You still have to understand more than there. There's some stuff that's harder to quantify, or maybe the public doesn't have and others do. So all these little things add up. This was truly like a team of destiny for Argentina. And that's weird because like, we had said that at some point, maybe four, five, six podcasts ago, and it was like, okay, in soccer, is there such a thing as destiny? Like, soccer is one of the most chaotic sports. The fact that they were, like, <laughs> it's a weird thing. Is it confirming something that isn't true? It is true, or like, are we projecting it onto? I don't care. Team of Destiny, sign me up. All right. We're going to bring this to an end. This was really fun. I enjoyed this podcast with you do you want to do one more episode recapping the world cup at some point this week we should hand out awards there's a whole tournament to talk about yeah i think it's a fun exercise to go through some players and teams why not all right listeners we'll see you again sometime this week with our world cup recap we'll hand out some awards uh vincent abubakar be on standby your world cup after dark award for best red card is going to assured most assuredly be on its way so hang out there this was fun, Amit. Uh, this might be the last podcast that people listen to because they don't want to listen to the World Cup After Dark Awards. If that's you, that's fine, but you should listen. This was fun. I enjoyed it as always. I am ecstatic that Argentina came out victorious. I am happy that our predictions are right, not because I care about my prediction being right, but because my prediction being right made me very happy. I'm with you. It's not about getting predictions right. This podcast was fun because we like talking about soccer and we like the same things about soccer. I hope for anyone listening, you like those things too. And that we made it enjoyable. That's what this was about. How, uh, how you think Cristiano Ronaldo is doing today? (laughs) Probably not. Well, he probably is not someone that took the events of today. Well, (laughs) eat it Ronaldo. Go try and get that goal back on your record that you may or may not have touched your hair, but definitely didn't. That's all from us at World Cup After Dark. Thanks for listening as always. We'll be back one more time to wrap up the World Cup at some point. If you liked what you heard today, please rate and review us. If you didn't like it, rate and review us as well. Your negative reviews will give us energy.